It's not just good conversation, it's your voice on the weekends. Weekends with Kenny Rahmeyer on News Radio KLBJ. I've been listening to the show, and I really appreciate your comments. I say you're a moron for calling people names. I'm a fan. Thanks for being fair and balanced. You really are, man. Thank you. Come on, talk to me. What's going on? What's going on? And good afternoon to you. Well, here we are on a cold Sunday afternoon in mid-January. And let's be honest, as the rest of the world is watching Dallas Cowboys football this afternoon, we're with you live and local right here on News Radio KLBJ. And there's lots to talk about. Presidential politics right before the Iowa caucuses tomorrow night. We'll give you the latest from the Mideast, from our southern border and a whole lot more. And as always, you're welcome to join us as we go along this afternoon. You can give us a call or send us a text at 512-836-0590. I guess right before the Iowa caucuses, all of the big polling organizations have got to make sure they get their licks in to tell us what's going on before the voters in Iowa are going to tell us what's going on, at least from a first-pass basis, right? So I've got a tremendous amount of polling data here. I'm going to try to net it out for you as best I can. The uh, NBC News Des Moines Register Iowa poll, which seems to be the, the benchmark for what's going to happen tomorrow night, but also have ABC News polling data and uh, some others as well that I just want to at least give you a snapshot of, of what our country is thinking at this point in time, as we're still uh, many months away from the November election. So we'll get right to it on the NBC News Des Moines Register polling data. Trump holds a, a nearly 30-point lead going into the Iowa caucuses tomorrow night. Nikki Haley has, uh, has moved past Ron DeSantis narrowly for second place. They're in Iowa. That's got to be a huge disappointment for the DeSantis team as they've been all in on Iowa for about a year now. And, and so let's drill down a little bit on, on some of these numbers. 48% for Trump, 20% for Haley, 16% for DeSantis, Ramaswamy, 8%. I'm going to mention Haley's name a, a few different times here and then kind of draw a conclusion as to where this might go as far as she is concerned. I found it interesting in the NBC News Des Moines Register polling data that Haley's overperforms among independents, 33% of them picking her as their first choice, and those with college degrees, 27%. Keep those demographics in mind very key demographics when it comes to a national election, independence and college degrees. And then here's another reason I think Haley's been getting a lot of attention, some favorable, some not. Half of Haley's supporters identify as either independents, 39%, or Democrats, 11%. 
Well, that's got to make a lot of Republicans not very happy when Haley's getting support from roughly 11% of Democrats. And then, also in the NBC News Des Moines Register poll, regarding the caucuses tomorrow night, 68% say their minds are made up. If they make it out of their house with the snow and the ice and everything else and get into these caucus venues tomorrow night, 82% of Trump supporters say their minds are made up. 64% of DeSantis supporters say their minds are made up. 63% of Haley's supporters say their minds are made up. So there's just a, a few nuggets out of the NBC News Des Moines Register polling data billed to be as, as the benchmark of telling us what's really going to happen tomorrow night. Now, from this ABC News Ipsos poll, 33% of those surveyed said they approved of Biden. That's a drop from the previous poll in September when 37% approved. So his approval ratings continue to plummet. His disapproval ratings continue to go up. Disapproval ratings, 58%. If you're the Democrats, you got to just be spitting nails at this point to, to hear these kind of numbers. Biden's got a lower approval rating than former President Trump. That can't sound good to any of the Democrats either. Now, here's, I wanna, I'm going to continue to focus on this. I know I did a, in the last week or two when we talked about the defense secretary not telling the president that he was in the hospital for some surgery. And I said, you know, there's a lot being made about that. And we've learned a lot about that situation since the last week or so. Maybe we'll have time to talk about that as we go along. The point is, what are you going to make of, of these kind of numbers when you take a look at mental sharpness, cognitive ability, the ability to do the job as commander-in-chief? For Biden, 28% of respondents, 28% say he has adequate mental sharpness. That's down from 32%. Last year, 47% say Trump has adequate mental sharpness. Think of that. Only less than 30% of respondents say our current president has adequate mental sharpness. This has got to continue to become more and more of an issue as this election year rolls along, it seems to me. Some more polling data here from the ABC News Ipsos poll. Just under half of these likely Iowa caucus goers who support Nikki Haley said that they would make a crossover to the Democrat Party. They say they'd rather vote for Biden than Trump. Ooh, boy, that's another reason why a lot of Republicans are not liking any notion of Haley getting the nomination. I mentioned I'm going to be saying Haley's name quite a few times. I, I'll just go ahead and say it. It's been kicked around. This no-labels group, they're still trying to figure out if they're going to have any kind of ticket for this upcoming November election. And it's now being kicked around, depending on how things play out in Iowa tomorrow night, New Hampshire on the 23rd of this month, and then you know on South Carolina, Nevada, there's a few others right after that. But the thinking is, if Trump continues to, to run away with it, as some of the poll numbers indicate, is it plausible 
that the no labels group, whether it's the former Democrat senator from West Virginia, Joe Manchin, well, you know, Christie, the former New Jersey governor, he's bowed out, but is he still in the wings? And then Nikki Haley, if she doesn't muster enough votes to, to do any damage to Trump, is it plausible that Haley, Trump, I'm sorry, not, not, not Trump, Manchin, uh, Christie, is it plausible that some of those names begin to surface and, and somehow they cobble together some kind of no-labels ticket that could prove very appealing to some Democrats, some independents, probably not very many Republicans, but again, their whole premise of the no-labels crowd here is to try to see if there's enough moderate votes in the middle that would give them a winning ticket. So I'm just I'm throwing that out there. A lot of this data coming in about Haley indicates she's got some crossover appeal, and I know that doesn't sound good to a lot of uh, Republicans, a lot of Trump supporters and all that. In fact, I've got one of the stories in the stack today that says Trump has been escalating his attacks on Nikki Haley because she has made up a lot of ground. Let's face it, when everything got started, she was in the low single digits at best, right? And now she's surpassed DeSantis in Iowa, still far behind Trump. But nevertheless, she's gained a lot of ground over the, the many months she's been out on the campaign trail relative to some of the other competitors. And so, again, Nikki Haley's name keeps coming up here. Here's a little bit more polling data from ABC News Ipsos polls. I mentioned Biden's job approval rating dropped to the lowest for any president in the last 15 years. 72% of Republicans aligned adults would be satisfied with Trump. 61% satisfied with DeSantis. 48% satisfied with Haley. And then 44% with Ramaswamy. Again, Haley kind of in the middle of the pack there. Satisfactory to some Republicans, but not all. Definitely more satisfactory with a lot of uh, independent and, and Democrat voters. If, if she would happen to, uh, to get in a position to, to run against Trump if he's on the Republican side, Biden if he's still on the Democrat side, right? I mean, there's so much up in the air. We're months away. I'm not going to spend all afternoon on it, but wanted to give you the latest data from a lot of these polls that have come out. Just to, to wrap up on that, found it interesting, a lot of voters with college degrees in a, in a really interesting, in, uh, I think this was out of the New York Times, really interesting deep dive piece about how college degree voters have actually helped Trump as of late, as, as he has, you know, of course he lost the last election, but he's been making a comeback within the party, some pretty strong numbers here going in the Iowa caucuses, and College degree voters are, are given some of that credit for helping him have a little bit of a resurgence. And then one other data point here about Haley. She's got a head-to-head -head lead over Biden. If you take a look at the national potential head-to-head -head matchups, that's another reason she could be attractive in the mix on a ticket for some. 
she draws more moderates and independents and more voters with college degrees than Trump does against Biden. You see why some people might think she could really be very attractive at the top of the ticket, given the demographics that, that she might be able to bring to the table. So there's a, a slew of, of polling data just to get us started here this afternoon on KLBJ. A couple of other things real quickly. Senator Mike Lee, Senator Marco Rubio, both Republicans, just within the last few days, Rubio, I think just today, Senator Lee, a few days ago, both endorsed Trump. Now, the reason I want to mention that and, and kind of point that out, they are among the very few Republican senators who have endorsed Trump. You take a look on the House side and the leadership side and all that, a lot of House members have already lined up behind Trump. Lee and Rubio coming out in favor of Trump right before the Iowa caucuses. It'll be interesting to see if any other Republican senators jump on board because I read an article recently that talked about how there's a tremendous amount of reluctance on the part of many Republican senators to get behind Trump at this stage of the game. So Lee and Rubio have put their names out there. We'll see if any others are to follow. Pretty interesting. A lot of dynamics coming together here as we're still months away. And then one other thing before a quick break here. It was just last week. Remember, I had a, I think it was out of the Washington Post article. Very uh, lengthy piece about how former President Obama has been pulling President Biden aside in, in lunch meetings at the White House and elsewhere and giving him some coaching, giving him some tips on here's what you're really going to need to do, Joe, to energize your campaign and really get things ramped up here heading into November. Remember that article we talked about last week? So what do you know? From News Nation today, President Joe Biden bolstering his reelection campaign effort adding a new leadership team that's going to oversee operations in Kevin in uh, seven key states. And what do you know? He picks a veteran Democrat strategist. Guy's name is Dan Cannonan. And what do you know? This guy used to work for Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton. What were Obama's words of advice for Biden? Pick an experienced person, put him in Delaware, get him out of the White House, and put him in charge of the key swing states. What do you know? This guy's going to oversee operations in Arizona, Nevada, Georgia, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan. Only took Joe about a week to respond to what uh, his former boss, Joe Biden, or uh, uh, Obama, had uh, I'd ask him to do. And then one other little nugget we'll throw in here. You've heard that uh, John Kerry also used to work for Obama, right, back in the day. He's been Biden's climate change czar, I guess let's call him that now, for quite some time. Kerry says he's going to step down from that assignment, but he is going to work on Biden's reelection campaign. So, an old name, this guy's 80 years old, but still one of the Obama retreads who's going to sign up and probably, since 
President Biden is not going to be out on the campaign trail very much at all for health reasons, would be my guess. Going to pick a guy like Kerry and, and some of these other old dogs to be the surrogates, right? Making appearances on behalf of Biden. So there's a slew of political news, presidential politics to get us started here this afternoon. You're welcome to join us as always. 512-836-0590 and give us a call or send us a text right here on KLBJ. And we're right back with you here on a Sunday afternoon. Thanks for being with us on News Radio KLBJ. A slew of polling data to start off the program today all about presidential politics, all ahead of the Iowa caucuses. Tomorrow night, 512-836-0590. If you would like to join us here on KLBJ to talk about any of this today, Kevin's calling in from Cedar Park on KLBJ. Hello, Kevin. Hello. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. You did. I think this is the first election I've seen where a senator has come out with a non-endorsement. Uh, and that's Rand Paul when he said, I'm, I'm for anybody except Nikki Haley. Yeah, that was really something. I think he, what is it, hashtag never Nikki or something like that? Yeah. Yeah, he yeah, made that announcement Made that announcement before the weekend. And what do you make of that, Kevin? What's up I, with that? I think a lot of it is it's the, uh, you know, the fear of uh, getting into another war. I think people, you know, if you're Generation X or older or younger, pretty much anybody, we don't want to go to any more wars. So I you think, think just so you're saying on the campaign trail she's been maybe a little too supportive of Israel or if you take a look at her time as UN ambassador some of the hardline positions she's taken against uh, Russia with Ukraine and certainly with China some of that I think it's it's I think it's more of a tendency it's not the you know I, I support Israel uh, and and you know the, the, some of those things but they have a little bit more tendency to be neocons. I think, you know, the more of a, uh, hey, let's jump to war right away type of feeling. If you look at what Trump had, there, were, there weren't any new wars started. In fact, things were winding down. Mm-hmm. But winding down in an appropriate way, not running away from billions of dollars of uh, military equipment in Afghanistan and then, you know, emboldening our, our uh, enemies throughout the world like, like Joe Biden. You think Trump can stop the war between Russia and Ukraine in, in, in one day, as he said he could? I think there's a man-man, mad-man theory that works. Uh, if uh, people aren't familiar with it, that's if, you know, oh, the guy's a madman, I don't want to mess with him. Uh, I think some of that is out there for Trump, and it's been, you know, he's pretty effective on that. Meaning that he's just a, he Trump's day, a wild card, you mean? You never know what he's going to do? If you were in high school, if somebody was a madman, I don't want to mess. I don't, I don't want to pick, pick a fight with that guy because you don't know how he's going to react. That's yeah, the same mentality. Do yeah. you think do, do statements like that? I, I know Trump says a lot of stuff. He, you know, he he garners attention with almost anything he says, and he likes that. Do you think? Oh, and he's very do, specific about it too. He's great at it. But what? Yeah, he's great at making claims. But I, in, in terms of backing them up. If he's pressed on that one in a debate at some point on down the road as to how would you do that, sir, he's not really in a position to talk about that, much like from a hypothetical standpoint, right? He's saying all the conflicts that are going on right now over in the Mideast, Russia and Ukraine, none of that would have happened on his watch. How does he back that up? Well, I think it's his record of when he was in office. There were no new wars started. And he's very adept as far as trying to... uh, focus the media narrative on things 
Uh, people are already talking about, you know, who's he going to use for, use for a, a vice presidential candidate. I mean, that's pretty effective. He, he hasn't hit, you know, the, the primaries aren't even fin- or started yet. Right. Or the caucuses. Is that going to be Tucker you- Carlson? Who's that going to be, Kevin? If I knew that, I'd, I'd be a very wealthy man. <laughs> uh, if, I, if I could predict the future. All right. Uh, but I'm not. But it's, uh, you know, I know who it's not going to be. It's not going to be Mickey Haley. Yeah, it's not going to be Ron DeSantis. Yeah, I don't think you're going to call somebody bird brain and then turn around and, and put them in your VP slot. That would be tough to uh, to turn that around. Uh, yeah. Kevin, good to hear from you this afternoon. Thank you for chiming in on KLBJ. 512-836-0590. It's that easy. You can give us a call or send us a text here on KLBJ. A lot of frustration is building with respect to the situation in the Mideast, not only within the White House, but if you saw this, a huge march for, for Gaza is what it was billed as. This huge rally drew thousands there in D.C. yesterday. And, and so I've got a lot more news to what's going on in the Mideast, some of what uh, President Biden has been doing behind the scenes, as we now learn. Also, it appears those attacks from the U.S. and the U.K. on the Houthi rebels weren't as successful as what we were first led to believe. We'll have some updates on that. And I've definitely got to get into the latest on what's happening on the southern border. All of that and a whole lot more coming up here on KLBJ. A quick news break. You can always join us, 512-836-0590 on KLBJ. And let's get right back to it here on a Sunday afternoon, mid-January. What a cold, cloudy old day, huh? Good day to listen to some talk radio here on News Radio KLBJ. Kenny Rahmeyer with you live and local. Always good to have you with us on the weekends. We started out talking a little bit. A lot about some presidential politics with the Iowa caucuses coming up tomorrow night. And uh, you're welcome to join us. Give us a call or send us a text at 512-836-0590. We had a Kevin right before the news break and another Kevin calling in from South Austin on KLBJ. Hi, Kevin. Hey, sorry. A couple Kevins in a row you got to hear from. Yeah, Um, it's okay. How you doing? I'm all right. I'm an Army reservist. Um, I've done five deployments, and I've been to Iraq, and I know that uh, I'm a conservative guy, but um, I, I have friends that are Trump, and I don't really care who it's going to be. I'm going to end up voting on that way anyway, uh, whoever is the nominee. Um, but I, I just, I, a lot of my, some of my Trump friends are, they think, they keep saying about no wars, and I'm like, no, oh, no, there was wars when he was president, and even though he didn't start it, he certainly dropped just as many bombs in Syria and Iraq as, you know, as, as the previous. So, you know, I, I think that, uh, that, that, that there's a myth out there that he, he's not, you know, okay, maybe no new wars, but he, he'll, where, where, where there are troops, they will continue to be engaged, whether whoever the administration is, I think. Um, and that, you know, that we still have troops in Syria. We and- still have people doing things out there going after uh, uh, extremists. And I don't, I don't think, I don't think a myth that you know, oh, Trump comes in, there's going to be everybody, there's going to be no wars or anything. As long as there are troops still there, I think they'll continue to engage. And um, that's, uh, I just, I just, I just hate to hear when I people, some of my friends are like, oh, there won't be, he'll take everybody out. Well, he didn't when he was president, but you know, 
it's just a I don't know what kind of why I keep hearing you know some of the supporters of him thinking that there's not going to be troops engaged. Well, see, Kevin, I think it's uh, first off, thank you for your service, and I think it's so important that guys like you speak out and and try to demystify some of the myths. Because you know Trump's going to throw them out there. He lobs them out there with the best of them as far as the politicians go. A lot of the other politicians, you know, throw out their talking points and that Trump's got a million of them. But it's important to shed light on what's really the facts and to have that kind of insight that you're bringing to the table here, especially since you were, you know, carrying a gun and a backpack and and all those uh, tours of duty that, that you told us about. So do you, with your military background... Do you have any preference whatsoever? I, I've said many times, I wish the United States could do better than Trump or Biden. I, I hate for us to settle for those two as I, I our, our top choices. I I, I'd like to think we could do better and come up with a better qualified candidate, younger and all the rest. But that doesn't appear to be what's, what's going to happen this time around. I, I agree, and I think we're in an age where we, whoever can scream the loudest and, uh, you know, or, or, or has the best insults. But, you know, the, 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 you know, in my, I have a lot of friends that have done more deployments than me, and I just think sometimes they don't make the news, uh, you know, talking about whether it's in Africa or Syria. Mm. And, mm-hmm. you know, and they're still out there. And I don't think, you know, uh, you know, and I, I specifically remember Trump saying, oh, I defeated ISIS. No, no they're still out there and they, 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 they've never been defeated. Um, and you cannot make those claims and make convince people that you're a, some sort of uh, military genius for or, or being the one who defeated the, you know, uh, Islamic extremists and terrorists when they continue on to this day. Like I remember him saying, I was, he said, I remember him saying, you know, oh, I, we, we beat ISIS. And I'm like, and literally at, when he said that there was troops engaged in combat overseas and right. uh, continue to collect uh, intelligence on our, on, on the folks that are trying to, to do ill will. But I, I'm not opposed. I'm not, I'm not a pro war guy. I mean, I just uh, think that it's the realism is hard for a lot of Americans. Americans to know about because it just doesn't make a lot of news. Kevin, it's great. Ask, to, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, if you if you ask me who I think the real threat is, and the real thing, I mean, I think you know Russia gets a lot of news, but I don't think that's ever going to kick off. And the real the real the real co- coming conflict will be with China, and that's you know it could be several years down the road. But when they go after Taiwan, the United States is going to make a fundamental decision whether they're going to they're going to. Uh, to, to help defend Taiwan, or, or 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 at least provide some sort of support, but that is probably where the next coming conflict is. But it, yeah. but but that but Russia thing, I think it's just a it's it's not it's, it won't ever happen. I don't think it will, and I think that um, that the the China one. I mean, even the election that just took place two days ago, they Taiwan just had their massive election that they elected somebody that was. Very much an you know an anti CCP uh, president. Yeah, you're right. So, That's a, a great point, Kevin. Thank you. I'm going to move along here. I really appreciate your insight and and your service and injecting, as you said, some realism into the conversation. You're right. Uh, Taiwan has just had their elections over the weekend. The, the guy that uh, that's that's been elected, he is very much 
on the Taiwan independence side, it, it is not, he was not certainly the first choice of the, the communist Chinese regime. And that's going to just make that whole situation all the more delicate and volatile and interesting as uh, the months go by. Thanks for your call here on KLBJ, 512-836-0590. Back to the Mideast for a moment. Uh, here we are, 100 days now since um, Hamas just slaughtered so many innocent Israelis, and now the Israelis have been fighting back. Netanyahu said, I think it was today, the fighting is not over. The news is Biden and his officials, his team, are at the end of their ropes with Netanyahu. Frustrations over relations with him. And a lot of the frustration has to do with, uh, I mean, heck, it was just a call in December. Biden hung up on Netanyahu. A lot of resistance to what Netanyahu's positions are on, on trying to disengage with what's going on in Gaza. Biden and his advisors think Israel isn't doing enough to let more humanitarian assistance into Gaza. They think that Netanyahu is rejecting United States overtures to reform the Palestinian Authority so that they'll have a role in whatever Gaza's going to look like once Israel gets rid of Hamas, if they can be successful in doing that. U.S. officials Concern that Israel is not going to meet the timetable of transition to more low-intensity operations in Gaza by the end of January. So a lot of frustration there at the top level of our administration, the commander-in-chief. And then this report, hundreds of Biden administration employees are going to walk out of their jobs in this next week or so in protest of Biden's support for Israel. So there's churn at the top between the United States and Israel, there's churn within Biden's own administration about what we're doing and how we're doing it with Israel. All these uh, staffers from more than two dozen agencies set to walk off the job in the weeks ahead. All this resentment about the administration's unwavering support for Israel, even though it's not as... Uh, unwavering as some would like, apparently. I mentioned this big march for Gaza. Thousands of people there in D.C., pro-Palestinian marches. Not just in D.C., it was all around the world. London, Rome, Paris, Dublin, Kuala Lumpur. All of this organized by the American Muslim Task Force for Palestine. Unbelievable. We learn also... This weekend, the CIA is collecting information on senior Hamas leaders and the location of hostages in Gaza. What about those hostages, right? We've been cranking along here. We say, well, 100 days. Yeah, well, these hostages have been living 100 days of hell, right? And counting. So CIA reportedly providing intel to Israel about the location of the hostages, location of senior Hamas leaders. We'll see if anything comes out of that. And then the Israeli Defense Forces releasing a statement just yesterday saying Hamas leaders are helping to orchestrate terror attacks worldwide. 
as part of a larger campaign against Western powers. You read all this kind of stuff, and it's all the more reason you say you want, at least from my vantage point, you want President Joe Biden to be in charge of things when there's so much volatility all around the world. Is this the guy? And then Trump, for that matter, is he the right one to handle a lot of this stuff? I agree with what one of the previous callers said. Trump's a wild card. The guy has that going for him. I think that worked to his advantage in his first term. That's got upside and that's got downside, right? So we could argue about that for the rest of the afternoon. President Biden said yesterday the U.S. has been delivering private messages to Iran about the Iran-backed Houthis responsible for attacking all those ships, the commercial vessels in the Red Sea. All of that as we know that those strikes carried out by the U.S. and the U.K. to, to take out a lot of the complex missile and, and uh, drone facilities there in Yemen. We apparently damaged or destroyed about 90% of the target struck, but the Houthis have retained about three-quarters of their ability to fire missiles and drones at ships in the Red Sea. These are apparently the first detailed assessments of the strikes. Top U.S. military officers said the strikes achieved their objective of damaging the Houthis' ability to launch these drone and missile attacks. That's what, how many of them have there been over these last many weeks? But we destroyed only about 20 to 30 percent of their offensive capability. Why is that? Because the intel reports are a lot of their capabilities mounted on mobile platforms and can be readily moved or hidden. And so these targets are proving to be more challenging than originally anticipated. The Houthis have had a lot of experience doing this kind of stuff. They've been under assault from the Saudis and all this goes back to 2014. And, and so, just as the previous caller was talking about how ISIS is still out there, even though the president says they've been defeated, granted, they have been minimized on the world stage to a large degree than what they were at one time, but they are still out there, just like the Houthis. I mean, some of these splinter groups and these Iran-backed proxies and that, they never seem to go away. They just, they continue, they have incredible resilience and ability to uh, sustain uh, some of the bad stuff they're doing. Obviously, when you got Iran pumping money their way, that's uh, a big benefit. Okay, coming up, got to give you the latest on what's going on on the southern border. I don't know if you've seen the Austin American Statesman today. It's, uh, I have not seen this particular ad, but apparently it's an ad according to Tony Pilecki, reporter for KVU. And he does some reporting for the Statesman as well. A full-page ad published in today's Statesman from the Illinois governor. An appeal to Texas Governor Greg Abbott to stop sending migrants to Chicago. We're going to talk about that and a whole lot more coming up here on KLBJ. And right back with you here on News Radio KLBJ. Kenny Romeyer live and local for you this afternoon. I, I got to get to this. This is the big, uh, to me, as far as the... now. The story that's going to take the lead moving into 
tomorrow. Of course, the Iowa caucuses are going to overshadow a whole lot of stuff. But this story, you look at all the angst that uh, Texas governor has been receiving for sending migrants to Denver, to New York City, to Chicago, right, all the rest. And now Homeland Security is saying yesterday in a statement that its agents were physically barred by Texas officials from entering an area of Eagle Pass, that Shelby Park area, to assist some migrants in the Rio Grande who were in distress. Three of the migrants, a woman and two children, have drowned, sadly. Their bodies recovered by Mexican authorities on Friday. U.S. officials, Texas officials say, yeah, they were on the Mexican side. In any event, you can just remember the Border Patrol agents that were charged and and twisted in the wind for how many months and months and months, right? About how they were whipping the, the migrants as they were on horseback and all the rest, and it turned out to be totally bogus. But... Think of all the mileage the administration got out of keeping that story in the news and cranking on that just day after day after day. This story is going to be much the same. You can bank on it. So I won't go into a lot of detail. You're going to hear a whole lot more about it. Texas military said it searched the river after the Border Patrol alerted them of the distress call. They didn't find any migrants. And, of course, Homeland Security is blasting Texas governor here saying that we're cruel, dangerous, and inhumane, accusing Texas of blatant disregard for federal authority. So a lot more of that to come. I mentioned the KVU and the Statesman reporting the big ad in the Statesman. Today I don't read the Statesman anymore, but I guess it's in there, about how uh, the Illinois governor's pleading with the Texas governor, stop sending migrants to Chicago. Okay. Here's the other big headline to me, and I don't know if you caught this. This was yesterday when President Biden is leaving the White House for Camp David, and he's quoted as telling reporters, I've been pushing them, my Republican colleagues, since I got in office. I think we have to make a major change in the border. He says, I'm prepared to make significant alterations in the border, end quote. Now, let's step back from that for a moment. He's clueless. How can he say that with any credibility whatsoever? Here's, I can envision this quote is going to be a key part of a campaign ad for the Republican candidate, whomever that turns out to be. And and I'm no expert on campaign ads, but I can put it together right on the fly here. You're going to have, first, a lot of the comments that then-candidate Biden made about how he'd like to roll out the red carpet for the migrants coming into the United States. And then the actions he took in the first couple of days in office to undo everything that Trump did with respect to trying to keep the border secure. Then we'll have clips of Mayorkas saying the border is secure time after time after time in front of congressional committees. Corinne Jean-Pierre, the White House press secretary, saying much the same thing in White House press briefings as in the background, you've got the the video of the migrants streaming across the border in droves daily. And then you'll have a clip of governors and mayors pleading for help from the Biden administration to no avail. And then the president saying something like this, I'm prepared to make significant alterations in the border. How lame is that? It's so frustrating. 
I know it is. 512-836-0590. Still time for you to jump in, give us a call, or send us a text here on KLBJ. And then there's the pocketbook issues, right? Immigration's a huge issue in this campaign, as it uh, appears. More and more data that we see. And then what about people's personal finances? There's a personal finance site called Money Geek. This is from KXAN, by the way. Compiles a list of 57 counties where home ownership has recently become unaffordable for the typical family. And one of the areas, according to this report, seeing rapid growth and gentrification is, what do you know, Travis County. Money Geek found home prices here rose by nearly 50% since 2021 to the median price of $610,000. Don't have time to go into all of the 57 counties in this report. I did note that Williamson County and Hayes County were also among the 57 so-called counties where you can't afford homes. New research... Different set of research suggests the American household, average American household, spends more than $1,000 per month on groceries. Average family spends just over $270 at the grocery store per week. You take a look at the top 10 states where the average American is spending the most on a weekly basis. Texas comes in at number 7, $286-some dollars. As far as the state of Texas, the average American household spending on groceries per week. There's uh, another survey about how, this is over 2,000-some adults just last month, said 72% feel inflation still hitting them hard at the grocery store. 60% say they're angry about it, anxious, resigned that whenever they shop for groceries, they're struggling to make their budgets work. This is from Bureau of Labor Statistics and talks about the cost of groceries continue to go up. Cereals, bakery products, even fruit and vegetables, eggs up almost 9% from November. Now, these are the kind of uh, pocketbook issues that are, are so top of mind with a lot of people. High grocery prices, mortgage rates, and, and home prices like we just talked about from that KXN report, all this stuff top of mind with with so many voters, right? I saw this one survey, 60% of Americans living paycheck to paycheck as of last month. And you got to understand, a lot of these low-income households around our country are, they're seeing higher credit card usage, they're seeing higher credit card delinquencies than before the pandemic, higher default rates on car loans, generally higher cost of living than other socioeconomic groups because they're spending a higher proportion of their incomes on the necessities like we were just talking about here. A lot of those necessities have experienced some of the highest price increases. So you add all that up, no wonder the Biden administration's pitch for how great Bidenomics is working is is not resonating with so many of the voters these days. And we're about to run out of time. What else can I throw in the mix here just to, to begin to wrap up? Well, I'll, I'll give you a few headlines. We talked earlier with uh, a couple of Kevins there 
about uh, one of them about the elections in Taiwan over the week on and, uh, President Biden said yesterday the United States doesn't support the independence of Taiwan that'd be another great ad go back and take a look at how much Biden has flip-flopped on what we're supposed to do between China and Taiwan over time how about this are, are you ready for this new Senator Elizabeth Warren joining calls for members of Congress to get a pay raise. Everybody in favor of that? Yeah, I'll bet. That's just the group that needs a, a big pay increase, right? Good old Elizabeth Warren. Members of the House and Senate paid an annual salary of $174,000. She wants to give them more. Wow. Hey, thanks a lot for being with us this afternoon here on KLBJ. Thanks to Garrett and team, executive producers here. Always good to be with you. The latest in news coming up next on KLBJ.